The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Uh, first of all, it's, it's when the, when the lights come on, the priests come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast, powered by the State of Louisville Network. Welcome into From the Pink Seats podcast. I am your host, Jacob Lang, joined, as always, by my good friends, Matthew McGavick of the Louisville Report of Sports Illustrated and Vincent Lococo, former Louisville football player, Louisville football assistant coach. We've got a lot to get into tonight. A, a great show uh, jam-packed with uh, a, a tons and tons of information here on Louisville football. Uh, we're going to dive into what happened on uh, Saturday against Clemson. And then, of course, look ahead to uh, Syracuse, the game on Saturday for Louisville, another big one coming up. And then, of course, guys, the big emotional day we've all been waiting for, the Lamar Jackson number retirement, the first player i think first of all welcome into the show fellas how are we <laughs> doing pretty good i'm excited for lamar day i just hope that you know Louisville puts forth a more uh, complete effort but we'll get to that in a little bit that's fair vince how are you man i'm great been waiting for this day since he left been waiting for this day since he left that's right lamar's the one of maybe probably i know he's obviously the first like louisville football player since what johnny unitas to have his number retired but are there any players that uh, from Louisville who have their numbers retired in any sport that played during our lifetime uh, during like the, like, I guess I don't want to say the, the early years. Cause I mean, we're only in our twenties here, but are there any players who we have seen play can, you know, in their career that have their numbers retired? I really can't think of one like across all of the sports. Yeah. Just any of the, you know, the big names that you grew up with at Louisville sports. I mean, how many, I, I really don't think anyone has had their number retired. Maybe Angel McCautry. Does she have her number retired? She's I, that's a good question. I know she's got it honored for sure. It might be straight up retired, but Should no, be if it's I, not. I take, I take that back. It is retired. It is okay. retired. So she, um, she and, um, qualifies then. So she's one athlete she, that we watched in our lifetime. She qualifies. And I mean, it's not been officially announced yet, but it's, it's coming. Russ Smith is going to get his yeah. jersey retired at some point. Yeah, absolutely. All three of those, obviously Angel having her number retired and then Russ and Lamar. Those are the the three kind of three of the big pillar athletes that we've seen at Louisville. And I don't know baseball. Does Brendan McKay have his number Brendan, retired? Brendan McKay does not have his number retired, but he's got a giant ass sign on the front of Jim Patterson Stadium. 
but I mean, they don't really honor Jersey numbers over at Louisville baseball just because there's so many good players that come through there. They, they can't honor, they can't honor <laughs> the entire like one through a hundred sequence. I mean, that'd be uh, preposterous. It would I, be I like but... the all American board they have in the back anyways. Oh, it's fantastic. This, yeah, th- that's that's also great. I want to point out one thing. This is super random here, but you talk about the, the the board there. Louisville has gotten these really cool electronic video boards and signage boards now, switching from like those hard signs to the digital light up signs in the Yum Center. You know, they've got the Ring of Honor at the uh, at Cardinal Stadium. Kudos to them for stepping into the digital age here. It's it's neat to right. see kind of what they can do with it. But anyways. Lamar, one of the few athletes of our generation so far that we've seen have his number retired. So, of course, we need to talk to Vince about some some of the great Lamar stories. I have questions for Vince that I'm going to ask on stories that I've heard, and I'm going to make him say yes or no live on the air, whether it's true or not, and if he's heard it. Mm-hmm. We're also going to probably make up some folklore here and start tales that can be traced back to us years and years, years after we have gone when people really, truly admire us of Lamar Jackson. And they won't know if it's true or not because he's incredible. He's like a superhero. Let's start at the top. We're not going to do big three this week. There are tons of uh, things that we're going to dive into here with the, the Clemson game. So I felt like guys, you tell me if this is okay. We're going to skip the big three because I felt like there's a lot more football nitty gritty stuff we need to get into tonight. What do you all think? No, I, I agree. I, there's just a lot that needs to be dived into when it comes to not only just the Clemson game, but a lot of quote unquote recent trends with Louisville football. Yeah, we'll get into it, that. Don't don't ruin the goodies yet, Matt. We'll yeah, no, you, you're right. You're right. Don't ruin the goodies yet. I've tried to teach you about when to give the goodies and when to hold the goodies. Just hold on for a minute. We'll get into it. But let's <laughs> start this show. I think to get into the good football stuff, we got to have Vince take us there and get us into the, the film X and O's analysis. So without further ado, let's start the show off tonight with Vince's game notes. It's time to get down to brass tacks. It's Vince's game notes with Vincent LaCoco. Vince, what do you got, man? Uh, well, the first thing that I kind of thought to talk about was uh, our penalties. Uh, penalties seem to be killing us on these drives. We had that long 98-yard where we started uh, – on our own, what, like two-yard line guys, and we had two penalties in that drive that ended up hurting us right there. So I, I just, you know, you hate to see that with our team and everything. Uh, defense needs to be a lot more consistent. Uh, the the uh, touchdown at the end of the half uh, really bothered me, even though they came out – or the, the score at the end of the half, I believe. I can't remember if it was a touchdown or a field goal, but, uh, you know, that right there can swing a momentum – for how you come out in the second half, even though we did come out better in the second half and responded uh, that opening series, I would have just loved to have seen us be a little bit better. Uh, the DBs were not good at all. Chandler Jones got beat on that one post. and Yeah, the on that reason, very first drive. Yep. Yeah, the very, the very first drive. So what happened there, guys, is, you know, Clemson ran a double post, but what I was thinking was that outside route was a, uh, was a cop route. And what a cop route is, is a corner or a post. So they're going to read the hips of that def- uh, defensive back in front of them. And Chandler had his hips pointed towards the sideline. So obviously right there, he's going to take the post. It's an easy win. It's an easy throw for DJ to make, and it's an easy catch. So uh, that's kind of what I saw on that play. Dorian Jones, in my opinion, is had a had probably his best game of the year. Oh, dude. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big Dorian Jones fan here, man. Yes. He, that, he, uh, he's that goal he's really – Mm-hmm. That he's really upped his game since he was inserted into the starting lineup on, well, not in the starting lineup because KJ Cloyd is still technically starting, but since he's gotten more reps there in the middle since Monty's injury. I mean, 
losing Monty hurts. There's, I mean, there's no two ways about it, but Dorian in the last couple of games actually has really held his own pretty well in the middle when, especially in the run sport. I, I, I agree with you. I, it's just Dorian isn't from the looks of it, it. It seems like Dorian's just not as flexible as Monty. Like Monty can run sideline to sideline and chase down anybody. He's your typical. All right. This quarterback right here is a scrambler. We're going to have you sit there and you spy him to whereas Dorian just doesn't really have that. But what Dorian does have that Monty doesn't have is Dorian is a thumper. Dorian, nope. when, when he hits you, you know that he hits you. And it showed on that goal line stand right there. I was pumped for that dude, pumped for him. I mean, it's a great play. Uh, our rushing attack seemed to be working out uh, pretty decently. I mean, good, honestly. I mean, we ran for, what, right. 233 yards? Yep. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the most Clemson had allowed all season, if I remember correctly. Exactly. And, you know, the past couple of games, we've really been uh, coming, into our, coming into our own, feeling a lot more comfortable in the run game. Our outside zone, outside zones are clicking. Malik's pulling the ball, it seems like, whenever he needs to pull it on the inside zones and handing it off whenever he needs to. His decision-making uh, seems to be improving throughout the year. Uh, what I really wanted to hit on, though, was that last series. That's everybody's, you know, big topic that those last yep. four plays, what are we doing here? So we ran – the first play was an outside zone play, which I'm fine with, okay? The and, uh, only complaint that I had, if you're going to run the outside zone, I get that Jalen Mitchell is your big bruiser and you, you want him to be in a goal line situation. But if you're going to run an outside zone, outside zone play, it doesn't matter if you've got 90 yards to go or two. Give the ball to – Travion Cooley, maybe even Hassan Hall at that point, because like if if you're trying to get to the boundary, you want to get there as fast as you can. And Jalen Mitchell, as good as he is, he's out of everyone in the running back room. He's not the fastest guy on there. Not even close. When you go back and look at him, Matt, the the edge was set. We had the edge, but Jalen just like you said, he doesn't have that speed to get to that spot. He's a phenomenal running back. Don't get me wrong. That's just one of the things that. You know, but speed has never been his his like forte. Yeah, it showed last year against uh, Syracuse when he broke for that run and got oh yeah got hawks. Yeah, so I'm I'm good with that, and I'm even good with the two inside zone plays to follow that. Okay, because that puts the position that puts Malik in the position to you know make the decision with the football, and that's what everybody on our our fan base wants. That's what we want. You know, put the ball in your best player's hands and let him make a play. And those two plays, it just didn't happen. My huge gripe, though, is the last play we ran. For one, we rushed it. We rushed the last play, getting it in, getting it, getting it in. You could see it on the guys, you know. I don't think we subbed anybody. We just went up, lined up, ran the play, and it was what it was. But the play itself, I knew what we were calling before <laughs> before we even went up and lined it because I turned to uh, – so I think I, I, Mason, yeah, I was sitting next to Mason King. I turned and I told him what we were going to run. And sure enough, we ran out and ran it. And it was the play Clemson ran in the national championship game with Hunter Renfro. So mm. everybody in the country is running this play now since Clemson scored that. It was the Yo. pick play. Boom. Clemson works on that play. I guarantee you every single red zone period. I, I yeah, because they're, they're the one that made it famous. <laughs> exactly. And I, I, I would even go as far to say that every team works on that play. I don't know why we ran such a predictable play right there for the last one. There's more than enough plays in our playbook that could have provided for better opportunity for us to score on that last play. For instance, that 
you know, the inside zone with the motion on the backside where Shaz the pitch guy. That play worked out phenomenally for us. We gained about 30 yards or so on that play because uh, the Clemson safety ended up taking shot. And, you know, Malik ran it down the sideline. But for me, guys, that was that, I really focused in on those four plays because we had plenty of opportunities all throughout the all throughout the game to, you know, to win it. Right. That if last there, play was the one that really, really, really bothered me. For me, if there was one gripe about that entire sequence, and I know that uh, Dave Skull and, and Ennis, they talked about it on the radio, is that if I know that it's not there in their MO to kind of line up under center and go forward or, you know, line up in a, in a jumbo package or an I formation or anything like that. That's not their MO. But when you're that close to the goal line and you've got the literal game on the line, do or die. I, 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 I guess I, I'm, I'm not in those meetings. I'm not in those huddles, but I don't understand why they didn't call at least one play where you just take your offensive lineman and say, get me, get me, two yards in a cloud of dust and just go smash mouth right up the middle. I get that that's not their strength, but I mean, you've got to at least try that once. I didn't didn't Tiberius Peterson score a, a touchdown as a fullback like two years ago under sat. I'm almost positive his first year he scored a touchdown. If, I, I know Makai did. I, I might be mixing it up or maybe it was last year. Tiberius I don't think Makai did. I don't think Makai was ever a ball carrier because I mean, it would have been a perfect <laughs> – no, he definitely scored. Makai definitely got the opportunity. Makai did in 18, 2018. Okay, so maybe it wasn't 2019. But there was a time where I've seen them line up, I believe, and I could be way off. This is where I wish we had like a text in line where people could tell me I'm off so I could just <laughs> stop this right now if it wasn't working. But I swear. We maybe if we ever do from the pink seats live, we'll have a yeah, text line. There you go. <laughs> text in to tell Jacob when he's wrong. But I feel like that opportunity that's an opportunity to just put in your biggest offensive lineman, like Matt said, and just go forward. Just literally go forward. Get a, a literally one half yard. Get this yard. And they just went, they went east west. I didn't understand that part of it. Matt's right, man. Go up the middle. Just one more time. Just try it. See what happens. I, I wish. You know, you saw Isaac Martin in on those last plays, but I mean, kind of like what Matt was saying and uh, Jacob, what you've been saying, just get go get those yards, put Isaac in in an eye formation, put Malik under center. I, I know Malik doesn't go under center often, but he takes those reps under center, you know, pregame, pre-practice, stuff like that. You know, if, if you got to put two fullbacks in there, like I don't care, just run it right up the gut at least one time and, you know, Put your two bruisers in there and see what can happen. Yeah, see, this is where Louisville needs a guy with a neck roll, man. I'm telling you, you get you a big beefy fullback with some long hair. See, this could have been you. Listen, Vince, man. Let me tell you something. You get a neck roll and you automatically become a fan favorite. You score a touchdown with long hair and a beard and a neck roll, and you're a legend in Louisville football history. If I was still going, this beard would be down to my chest, and I would have some kind of funky haircut. I guarantee it. But playing fullback in that offense and around all those guys by now from a macro perspective here and i am actually and i told you this matt when we saw each other the other night i i I felt good about this game i know they lost but there was something about this game that just gave me the sense that with a few changes things not going with the the backup quarterback having to come in and louisville wins this game and, and who knows what happens after that Man, I, I just want to say something. I didn't I say something similar last week, considering like with the what happened to the NC State game, and you roasted me for like 
basically regurgitating coach speak. And now, now look at you. You're saying what I said last week. Look at you. I'm proud of you. I'm just trying to be like you, man. But no, the game was encouraging from the standpoint of, I know the second, okay, I'm going to probably like in the grand scheme of things get eviscerated for this take because they lost secondary, gave up a ton of big plays. Play calling on the last game of the drive was questionable. They didn't score. They lose in heartbreaking fashion. Okay, but what happens if Malik Cunningham doesn't go out of this football game? This is the point I want to make here, and I need you all to listen to me because this this is one of those things that Scott Satterfield is going to be blamed for that he had no control over. You go into the drive, uh, I, I think it's second half when Malik goes out here. I think it's their 10th drive of the game. Louisville is on their seventh play, and Malik goes down. And this is after this, this is after just two carries before Louisville for the second time carries the ball for 200 yards in a football game, right? So they are establishing mm-hmm. dominance up front, doing what Scott Satterfield wants to do. They did it the whole game. Yes, the defense slipped up big time, several spots, but they were consistent stopping the football in the run game, and they got off the field when they needed to. This drive, Malik Cunningham is leading Louisville down the field. The score at this point of the game is 17-24. to 24. Louisville would have scored on this drive or at least put themselves in a position to kick a field goal that was not a 52-yarder on 4th and 11, which we've got to talk about the kicking game here in a second because it is just an absolute uh, an absolute, just frustrating thing to watch when Louisville gets in the field goal position and can't score. But Malik goes out and Evan Conley comes in. And in this period of the game, fresh off of not playing since week two, maybe. I, don't, I couldn't even tell you the last time Evan Conley was in. He gets seven plays and they gain one yard. Seven plays and the offense in total gets one yard. That goes the other way. Malik doesn't go out. Louisville wins this game. And you know what? Louisville might have made, made it a, a 10-point game at some point. Like they were, they looked like they were about to go on a run in that second half. And so when people are so frustrated and pissed off, I get it. It sucks to lose the way that they did for the third straight game. It sucks to be, I think they're the point where it's 52 to 13 in the fourth quarter over the last three games, something like that. It's just absolutely brutal with what has happened to them in the fourth quarter. Um, But if Malik doesn't go out this game, they win this game. And we're, we're having a completely different conversation here tonight. No, I mean, I completely agree, but to an extent, I mean, sat does kind of have some control over this because I mean we've talked about the quarterback recruiting and how somewhat disastrous it has been throughout his tenure and how he just can't seem to close the deal on a lot of his targets. Now I think Caleb Johnson's going to end up being a great um, a great quarterback once he gets here, but before he gets here, I mean, who all has sat brought in as quarterback? It's not a lot. I mean the third string quarterback is a JUCO transfer who by all from everything we heard was great in fall camp, but, and I know a lot of people out there are probably going to crush me for this, but I've already written about it. My feelings on this are out there. So screw it. If he, if Brock Doman, the third stringer can't even beat out Evan Conley for the backup quarterback position. What, what is he like? Because we've seen Evan Conley in a limited capacity this year and in a somewhat limited capacity last year, when Malik had to go out for various injuries or, situations what have you Evan Conley's not getting the job done anymore now he he did do good things for the program in 2019 of course everyone automatically thinks about that Wake Forest game where he had that fourth down uh play and he kept the ball and he ran in to get the game winning go ahead score whatever it was but in the last two seasons I'm sorry Evan Conley is not 
the answer for back for your backup QB anymore. I mean, of course, with Malik, the best ability is availability, and he's and it, it sucks that you know, like he's perpetually hurt all the time. But I mean, you have to be ready for that. And I I don't I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if Sad should have been better in in recruiting quarterbacks, which he has, but or if it's simply Evan Conley just has to be better. But I I'm pretty secure in saying that. Conley's just not the guy anymore. I don't think he if he ever truly was. I think he was just capturing the magic that was in 2019. But I shudder to think where Love would be had it not been for Malik Cunningham, especially with all the other quarterbacks on the roster. Because you've got Conley, you've got Doman, you've got TJ Lewis, who is I'm pretty sure he's a wide receiver now. I'm pretty sure he hasn't even touched the field this season. But that quarterback room is still really thin. I just broke some news there with that slide night in. Like, I didn't know he played one. Is that, that, that's interesting. But you are totally right. From a quarterback standpoint, there is a little bit of criticism here when you see Evan Conley get seven plays in, in one yard. Now, Scott talked about, I think, after the game, how difficult it is to go from having not played for months, weeks, to step in in the middle of a game against Clemson with one specific game plan and have to do what the guy who looked like Superman was doing before you, or at least try to keep the momentum going all while looking over your shoulder, wondering when he's going to come back in. Right. But you're right. The consistent thing with Conley is it doesn't really matter of the situation. He's just not been good enough. And I've been saying that for quite some time as teams got film on him, his stats clearly got worse and worse and worse. And this season, I think he's one for seven on the season, one for six with four yards, um, and he, I don't think he has, but maybe a couple of rushing yards. So they're getting nothing there. Um, and, and that's, that's on sad that, and it's not, that's right, Matt, they got to recruit better at quarterback and have some better options to go to. Um, because that's a game that, that, uh, you're in a spot to win and your backup quarterback can't be the reason now Conley has escaped criticism and it's very, he doesn't deserve to be chastised for a bad performance against a defense that by all accounts is pretty damn good. Right. Evan Conley is not a five-star quarterback. I think we can all say he's a limited guy. He's a backup, but you do expect better out of him. Um, And and early on, I want to go to the other side of the ball. The the defense, it seemed like the pass rush in the beginning of that game really, really, really was getting home. And I know that they didn't uh, end up having a ton of sacks. I think they finished the game with three. But Yaya Diaby played a hell of a game. Dorian Jones, Tiberius Peterson, um, CJ Avery, a lot of these guys, man, ended up with, you know, some kind of tackle for loss or sack statistic. What did you guys think that they did differently or what kind of stood out from the pass rush? Because to me, that's what really set the tone early. I mean, I'm going to sound like a super pessimist, but I, I don't think it's what Louisville particularly did different in this game. I just think Clemson's offensive line is just that bad. Because I've I've watched a few games of theirs, and I mean, for as much as DJ Uyunglele has struggled, I mean, the re- the main reason he struggled is that the offensive line can't hold a clean pocket for him. I mean, you saw it the entire night he had happy feet because he didn't know when that line was about to collapse. So I think it was more so an indictment of the Tigers' offensive line just not being good. Quite frankly, I'm not sure if it was anything in particular that the Louisville front seven did differently. I don't think we really did anything different either. I don't know if we, I mean, obviously none of us are in those meeting rooms, so we don't know if they installed something Monday and, you know, it was good to run by Saturday or what. But uh, I'm with you, Matt. I think the O-line is really like Clemson's true issue there. And even when I went back and, you know, listened to what everybody was saying or the commentators were saying, 
they were talking about DJ's mobility and how he can't run and things like that. And, you know, that's, you know, setting them back a lot just because he can't, you know, move out of the pocket and get those extra yards that you need to whereas the backup that they brought in was looking straight down at the offensive line as soon as his first read was, you know, covered up or whatever. So I think that's more of a testament to how, how bad their O-line is this year. I love that they resorted to calling the backup quarterback, whose last name I don't want to try to I'm pronounce. not even going to try and pronounce that one. I just got to a point where I'm comfortable saying DJ's name. I'm not even going to What about that linebacker they had? That was yeah. – the, no, that, uh, they had another defensive player. Uh, You're not talking about Skowski, are you? No, Skowski. That's an easy name. Yeah, Skowski's good. Uh, they had somebody else. Started with like an O. Oh, here we go. Ruke or Oh, Aurora. Yes. Sounds like your dog, man. Maynard just made his appearance. Maynard, that's your best limited Maynard impression there. No, the first time I heard that in the press box when he made a tackle, and I was like, what the hell did I just hear? Then I looked at the depth chart, and I'm like, oh, that's his actual name. So Tyson P is what the announced crew went to for the name there, which I can understand. Like, I don't want to have to try. I mean, you saw what I tweeted out. That's what I I wasn't about to try and pronounce it or spell it. Oh, he was. No, that's right. It wasn't the announcing crew. It was you. That's right. I might need to. I need to point my ire at you. It was you that shortened the name and and sacrificed journalistic integrity for your convenience. What you can you can spell that? No, of course. Can you say it? Don't. don't no. throw stones in glass houses, Jacob. Fair, absolutely fair. But I, I, I do want to say that defense. I know, I, I, I know Clemson's just not the same team this year, right? And we talked about this is a win because of they're not they, the same on offense. Their defense was still Clemson. I mean, they, the, the team and the players said that all week long. Okay, I mean, they suck on offense, but they're still Clemson on defense. So tell me then, in your all's opinion, in your expert journalist and, and ex-football player and coach opinions here, what, what was it then that allowed Louisville to have such dominance up front? Because if you listen to the broadcast, um, it, it was pretty obvious that they thought Louisville's offensive line was dominating. And, and they, they did get some good push, but that's, when I say Clemson's not Clemson, when has Louisville's offensive line really ever gotten that much push against Clemson? I mean, maybe – Maybe early on under Bobby. I mean, back when Clemson maybe. was but maybe. <laughs> yeah, it, keyword, I mean, maybe. in the series, in the series against Clemson, I mean, I think we can all agree that was the most dominant at the line of scrimmage Louisville has looked, period, on both sides of the ball. I mean, the, the front seven and the D line, they did their had their way against the Clemson O line and on, on vice versa, the Clemson D line, while they still were able to get some pressure on both Cunningham and the running backs. I mean, uh, remember on that first drive uh for that hole that Jalen Mitchell ran through oh man you could drive a car yeah, that through was that pretty, yeah that was it was pretty. i was shocked at how massive that hole was i mean mitchell went through untouched i mean granted they only had a few holes like that on the night because clemson is still clemson but they on a semi-consistent basis were able to get holes just big enough to get the running backs through their gaps and just get to the second level it, it was actually probably one of the more impressive parts uh on the night from louisville marvin dallas alert we need like a sound signal to sound Marvin Dallas. Just like some what did I gonna, say last week, Jacob? What did I say? 
I'm going to work to find some kind of just crazy techno rave sound that drops, gives us like an incredible buildup. And then it's just Marvin Dallas. Yeah. Marvin Dallas comes up with another fumble recovery. That was an interesting play because you had the Clemson player get blocked into the other Clemson player. Really more just kind of stumble. It looked like not as so much of a push, but Marvin Dallas, again, another guy who every single week you put him out on the field and he makes plays. What was unfortunate for Marvin Dallas was that he was put in a difficult spot in the second half when Louisville lost Jack Fago. Now this opens up a conversation about officials that I'm curious to have because um, another one of the things that Satterfield can't control is bad officiating. We saw this quite a bit in the second half, or at least it felt like, I don't know, maybe you guys saw something different, but that play where Jack Fago gets ejected, Vince, you're the, you're the tackle expert. Uh, I don't know how to tackle. I've, I've never tackled, you know, much of anything outside of sandwiches in the car on the way home in five minutes. So, um, CJ Avery on that first play of the drive or second play of the drive, uh, Looked like a targeting plan, a penalty to me. He gets away with it. Jack, if I go, maybe the makeup call. What, were your, what was your take on that? If you're going to call one, look, I'm cool with both those hits. I, I played fullback, so, like, I love shit like that. Like, if you're not intentionally <laughs> trying to, like – there's a difference between a receiver running a dig and I'm the safety and I'm, you know, coming in and just Brian Dawkins just taking off his head. And there's, a, you know, between the two plays right there. But I think that was definitely a makeup call for sure. See with the with with the Fago targeting call with the first couple of replays I saw I was a little bit on the fence, but then the last one where it kind of came from the side, then I could kind of see how it could be targeting because he did kind of lead with the crown a little bit, and while it, he did catch a lot of shoulder, he did get a lot of on the like the bottom part of like the the part of the helmet right here around the ear. They just, I, in my opinion, I, I'm sure you guys agree, is they just need to clarify that rule more. I'm just like, I'm, oh, the targeting rule is awful. It's, the, it's I mean, the way so it is crazy. now, the intent there is wholesome and noble, but like the execution of it is, yeah. I, I mean, just think about Hassan Hall had second, third game of the year or whatever. He had like three targetings called on him. I can't remember where like somebody had hit him, but if you go back and look, he's leading with his head. He's the one with his the crown of his helmet getting ducked. And everything. Yeah, like uh, uh, there needs to – because I actually saw – I can't remember which game it was, but there was a college football game this past weekend where like pretty much the offensive version of targeting happened. And, of course, there's no penalty call there because it's the offensive player. It's the ball carrier who's offensive doing game. it. But, I mean – but, yeah, seriously. But um, from – on that standpoint, it's just him just laying the wood, putting his shoulder down, running through. That's not targeting. He's just trying to make a play. But you can't give defensive players the same luxury. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you, man. It's it's such a weird rule that's just so clouded now. There's a lot of it's gray become area. it's become the new NFL. Is it a catch? Is it not a catch? That that that's the the targeting in college football rule. They look at each other and they're like, well, I don't know. Last one wasn't, so this one probably is. Flag. Get him out of there. He didn't do anything wrong, but get him out. All right, the next guy I want to call out here, and I'm just to the point of calling guys out at this point. I'm just looking through my notes. Tyler Harrell, man. We talked all off se- or all at the beginning of the season when he struggled to adjust to the football in the air. Malik would, Malik would either lead him over his shoulder or lead him a little bit back, and Tyler Harrell struggled to get, catch the football. That play, I think it was on the last drive of the game, the 45-yarder. I, it was before the Justin Marshall catch, which the Justin Marshall catch is the play of the year at this point from an offense standpoint. I, I, maybe. I don't know. I felt like it. In the it's moment. up there. I'm thinking about it now. 
but the the throw to Tyler to Tyler Harrell and the adjustment was absolutely beautiful and it set them up to be able to get down into that point. Justin Marshall, another guy that I've got to give a shout out to for that catch. That was unreal. I have never, it's like a Madden glitch. He caught the ball in between the defender's hand. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It looked like some matrix stuff happening and his, his muscles are, are real muscles that he used to clamp down oh, on that yeah. football. I'm pretty sure. And those, those extra more. days of doing bicep curls paid off right there. Do it yeah. more. He's a huge receiver. I don't know why he's not doing more physical stuff like that all the time. Like you want to talk about your slants, Jacob? I, I think Justin would be your prime guy to, you know, run across the middle and do something like that. Let's he's not, not your best curl science. runner. Like, I said, <laughs> but I think, you know, but uh, to me, the Harold catch was more impressive because I mean, the main criticism of Harold up to this point was like, all he is is a nine route runner. All he does is just run fast, go straight. That's it. Like he doesn't run routes really well. He, he doesn't have a high vertical. He doesn't play well through contact. But on that catch, he did all of that. He high pointed the ball. He caught that ball with a man all over him. I think it was two guys all over him. And he, and he, he held on to it. So that's literally everything that we've criticized about him wrapped up all into one play. And without that play, I mean, that, that drive doesn't get extended to set up for the Marshall play and then set up for the goal line sequence. I still feel like we aren't talking about Malik Cunningham enough in this, this special season he's having. I told you guys last week, and again, I'm going to stick by this, okay? Louisville football wins that game if he doesn't get injured. I told you guys last week, I thought that we were headed towards potentially a victory because Malik was going to put a special performance together that really stamped his career and got him to the place of, you know, not Lamar Jackson, but one of the next greats in line with Teddy and Brian and Stephon LaFleur's, Dave Ragone. And while he did go out, they did lose. The ability to make plays that he makes, the two touchdowns, especially was a 51-yard touchdown run where he gets out on the, the outside and tiptoed down the sideline like a damn ballerina. Oh, and it was, oh my goodness. It, it really does feel like at times I'm having deja vu of watching Lamar Jackson. I'm, I, I know <laughs> that that seems extreme, right? But he's straight from the school of Lamar Jackson, man. The same stuff that Lamar did. Like, I mean, we're going to talk about uh, Dino Babers here in a little bit, but Dino's right. He's like, what the hell, man? I thought we got rid of Lamar Jackson years ago. How did Louisville do this again? Um, and Malik is just, I know that the passing is still not what you want it to be. And clearly, you know, Malik makes a play here, makes a play there. This is a different football team. But to, to look over the 15 touchdowns he scored through, what, what are we at, game nine here at this point? Just uh, yes. kudos to him, man. Kudos to Malik Cunningham. He is uh, special. And we're going to talk about this a lot. We'll debate this. This will become a topic of conversation um, I don't know if the average fan knows this, but and and I'm going to ask this question as if I know the answer and I'm just quizzing you guys. But Malik Cunningham has one more year of eligibility. Isn't that right? He does. Yes, he does. Malik Cunningham could theoretically come back and challenge a lot of those Lamar Jackson numbers. Could he not? I said yes. challenge. I didn't say pass. I said challenge. Some of those Lamar numbers are awfully They're gaudy. They're stupid. They're absolutely stupid. You know, but it's. On that topic, Jacob, you think you think about this, like we talk about him going to the NFL, you know, you know, that's unforeseen possible money to whereas you stay another year, the new NIL law that just passed probably makes some make some good change and stuff like that right now while you're still here before you go ahead and make that jump. I mean, yeah, Look, he's man, already making he's already making a solid amount of dough now because I see his his face on planet fitness billboards and i feel like i hear an advertisement for him to do an autograph signing there every few weeks 
there, there isn't a player in the in the city of Louisville, maybe even the state of Kentucky right now, outside of Ty, Ty Washington, considering the fact that he got Porsche, who has a better NIL standing. I mean, Malik's got to deal with Planet Fitness, which has his face on a billboard. Like, how many college <laughs> athletes have their face on a billboard um, in, a, in, in, in NIL right now? I mean, Malik is all over Planet Fitness. He's got his clothing deal. There's a, There's other deals that will come for him as he continues to play better. Um, so yeah, his value might be more here, um, at Louisville, but you know, again, we're going to get into this. I did not envision us going to this point. The question is, is Malik a quarterback or is he another position at the next level? And I don't want to talk about that right now because I feel like we're just like going to take away from how special he's been as a player this year. Um, but that is a very real question that will have to be answered for his professional career. All right, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about Syracuse. This is a game that I find very intriguing for a lot of the reasons at Louisville. Um, I, I shouldn't say a lot of the reasons of Louisville. That makes no sense in terms of a sentence. But the same reasons with Louisville <laughs> is that Syracuse has struggled to, to pull out games um, late in the, in, in, in the fourth quarter. They have now lost three. They have three losses on the season, all of which have been by um, – have either been by – four losses, I'm sorry. Have either been by three points or seven points uh, – ten points, sorry. Um, they have played games very close this season. A loss to Rutgers looks ugly. But the way that they have played in the ACC, especially as of late winning their last two, Syracuse is a team that may not be getting enough love. Syracuse is an extremely underrated team. When I was doing a little bit more research into them earlier this week, yeah, you, you first you see the record five and four. I mean, kind of middle of the road, but in ACC play, they're two and four, not the best record. But I mean, when you actually dive deep into their schedule, they're keeping close in a lot of these games. Like they had a, a stretch of games where they lost three in a row. Yes, but they're all three points yeah. against solid teams. I mean, I mean, Florida State's not solid, but let me retract that a little bit. But then they take Wake Forest within a loss, like three points, and then they come within like a field goal of beating Clemson. And I I went back and looked at it. Syracuse is eight and one against the spread. Their lone blown cover on the year was their second game of the year against Rutgers. And that's it. I mean, they, they, they're like the antithesis of Louisville. They do, they keep games close and they, well, maybe not the complete antithesis because they don't completely get things together down the stretch, but you get what I mean. They're keeping things close sure. down to the wire and they don't let it get away from them at the last second. That's correct. And that uh, we both are stumbling over where we're trying to get here, but we're on the same page. My, my internet is not working. Like we are all over the place here trying to get stats pulled up, trying to get things back on pace because behind the scenes, my technology is failing me big time, but no <laughs> Syracuse is a team that, that and a lot like at Louisville, if they, if they make a play here, a play there, their season is completely different. Instead of being five and four, you're talking about them potentially being, you know, a one loss team, on the season, maybe even undefeated if they can figure out what to do against Rutgers, which it feels weird to say to figure out what to do against Rutgers, but they have really bounced back from a, a, a down season last year. Uh, I think Dino Babers has probably done enough to save his job. Um, we'll see what happens down the stretch, but this is a game statistics wise. I mean, Louisville, their numbers are, are, you know, you look at them and where they are in the, the national landscape and it's like, okay, that's that about explains it with Syracuse. You're talking about a team that is in the top five in rushing offense and a defense that is in the top 15 in total defense. This is a legitimate team that can beat Louisville with Lamar Jackson here, getting his number retired. If they don't figure something out quick, what do you all think about this game? It's man. It's, it's definitely not the gimme that we thought it was about a month ago. Cause I think what's, what's been the narrative for most of the season. Oh, that, that, that stretch down like to end the season, it's going to be easier. Then you got Duke. Then you, then you, we got Hughes. Then you got Duke. That's an easy two wins. 
Syracuse is not a gimme win, not by a long shot. I think Louisville is only a three-point favorite in this game. And that's we've, – we've talked a lot about their rushing at this point, and, they, and it's hard not to because they're – uh, their running back, Sean Tucker, he's second in the nation in, in rushing yards behind Kenneth Walker over Michigan State, who a lot of people have as like a, a Heisman favorite or at least like top three, five in the Heisman race. And Garrett Schrader, he's he's a really good running quarterback. He's not particularly excellent throwing the ball. I think he completes like 50% of his throws, seven touchdowns, three interceptions, not really prolific through the air. But they, they've got, when we were talking to Brian Brown earlier today, they've, they've got some solid weapons on the outside, some really fast athletic receivers. So if they get open, I mean, don't leave them one-on-one on an island because Schrader might be able to like, might be able to find them in space. And then defensively, I think as good as, as good as Syracuse is running the ball defensively, they might be a lot better. I mean, they have probably one of the most aggressive front sevens in the ACC. And that's kind of weird saying that because you, you think, okay, who's got, who's got the better defenses in the league. Okay. You got, Clemson, you got NC State, you got Wake Forest a little bit, but Syracuse is is right there in the conversation because they have so many guys on in that front eleven, especially like on the defensive line, who excel at getting in the backfield and shooting up the gap and shedding blocks and just getting after the quarterback. I think one guy on the line, Cody Roscoe, he's got eleven TFLs and eight sacks. That's a man right there. This is a game that honestly I didn't really have on my radar until I started prepping for the show this week and then yep. now i'm looking at myself thinking here are you going to predict louisville to win when the, the numbers should tell you that syracuse is probably better than them and that hurts me to say out loud like syracuse is a good football team that the record legitimately will fool you um now I, they won ugly like let's not sit here and act like virginia tech boston college that's not like at liberty they've got a quarterback who's probably gonna be a first rounder but like let's not sit here and act like their schedule is the bees knees it's not but they do things really really well which is run the football which louisville has i know they've done better the last two weeks with clemson and nc state but we know louisville has struggled to stop the run this year um and they also have you know they they have multiple guys that can that can hurt you on the ground and we've seen like multiple you know when louisville has to worry about a quarterback and running back a backup running back uh, or even a prolific running back, they have, you know, they've, they've kind of struggled with that. And as injuries pile up, you worry about can Louisville consistently stop a running back who, like Matt said, I mean, if Syracuse just had a slightly better record, this is a guy that's maybe getting a little bit of Heisman love, like dark horse Heisman love. I know he's only a freshman, but you know, Syracuse wins those games and they're eight and one versus five and four. Um, hello, this is Heisman type numbers here. And Louisville is going to have to figure out a way to stop that with the injuries, again, piling up. I mean, it's, it's, ir- it's eerily similar storylines with it with here in Louisville. I mean, what's that said all season? Oh, we're just a few plays away from being X amount of wins in one. I mean, it's the same thing with Syracuse. I mean, if they if they're able to make a few more plays in any of those games they lost in the middle of the season, I mean, they're they're eight and one right now. And this is a and this is a much more hyped game than a lot of people think it is. And it's probably not at noon on the regional sports network. <laughs> Let's be honest now, but I think, I actually think Louisville could do a somewhat decent job at limiting Tucker because the last few weeks Louisville's done pretty decently when it comes to stifling running backs. I mean, I think that NC state game where he had two very capable guys in zone of a night and Ricky person. And I think they combined Barely had 50, 60 yards. I mean, Clemson had an okay, had a pretty decent day rushing the ball. Where I'm concerned, though, is that it seems that whenever they face a somewhat 
mobile-ish quarterback, they tend to just blow things wide open. And hell, Louisville's allowed a few non-mobile quarterbacks to be able to just find green grass right up the middle. I mean, I, I remember seeing Devin Leary do it a couple of times against it in NC state. And I know uh, DJ, he's not, he's a mobile quarterback. Yes. But I mean, that's facing a mobile quarterback. I'm a little bit concerned there more so than I am facing the prolific running back for Syracuse has. That that's where losing Monty at the start of the year really is, you know, kind of coming to kick us. Like, yeah, yes, you have Dorian who, like we mentioned the past two weeks as he started to come into his own, but you just feel so much better leaving Monty in there as that spy in case the quarterback does scramble and it just makes you feel so much more comfortable. You know, that that's a, that's a good point, but I got to say, we've talked about this a little bit earlier, Dorian Jones, man. I I, th- I was literally having a conversation with somebody uh, this week at the gym about Dorian Jones. That's where I find myself on a random Tuesday night in Louisville, just talking about <laughs> Dorian Jones at the gym. But no, that first drive, I think I tweeted about this, was incredible what the middle linebackers did with C.J. Avery and Dorian Jones. They really set the tone for their defense. And as the game went on, Dorian Jones, the more and more that Clemson, you know, was trying to get plays going and trying to get their offense in, Dorian Jones was there making a play. Dorian Jones is stepping in really, really nicely. I know K.J. Cloyd is by fact a starter, but Dorian Jones is the guy there. And I think it's going to be really fun to watch Dorian Jones and Monty Montgomery play with play on the same in the same you know backfield or play in the same linebacking core next year but Syracuse the defense you Matt you talked about how they've been really stout this year they've got a really good front seven they've got a guy by the name of Deuce Chestnut I don't know if Louisville football fans will remember him yep. he was a um a, a very very highly pursued cornerback um uh four-star cornerback um, out of the Northeast who ended up going to Syracuse and he's become one of their better players in the secondary Louisville could really use a guy like that right now they, they don't pass the football particularly well. And so you feel confident that maybe the secondary can kind of get it going here. Maybe they don't have to be relied upon as much um, and they can kind of bounce back because, you know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta be able to stop the passing game no matter what, right? Syracuse is going to yeah. run, but they also, if they, they catch you slipping, they're going to, they're going to throw the football. Um, and I, I think the secondary will really, really need to step it up. Um, was there anything in the game against Clemson Vince on the film that encourage you, encourages you about the, the secondary? Because obviously Chandler Jones has really struggled. We know Clark is not coming back through that door, is not going to step on the field again this season. Trey Franklin really was a non-factor against Clemson. Uh, Greedy Vance had a couple of really nice plays. But, I mean, do you feel like Louisville has what's needed at secondary to be able to stop an offense like Clemson, which I know, again, they run the football a lot. Uh, or not Clemson, I'm sorry, Syracuse, they run the football a lot, but they can hurt you through the air if you let them. I was. I mean, yes, I did mention Chandler's one play in my game notes, but, I mean, he he didn't play that bad, and Greedy is still a young kid trying to figure out college football. I, I, I really think Greedy is going to eventually come into his own and be a phenomenal corner for us. But I, to answer your question, Jacob, I, I, I do think we have the guys out there to – you know, defend the Syracuse uh, offense. Uh, I The thing that I'm kind of weird about is uh, I'm seeing Josh Minkins come in a lot at that safety spot, and I'm curious, are they having, you know, are they questioning Kendrick Duncan more now, or are they questioning Q Cole, or are they just getting some fresh legs in there? You know, what's what's the situation in that safety room? Because the safety is the one that makes all the calls in that back end. So, you know, that's kind of my curiosity and my question mark at this point. 
Yeah, I'm curious to see what the game plan will be for Syracuse. Again, you can't talk about how good they are running the football but when you talk about them as an offense. But I do think that the Babers will understand that Louisville has really done a good job the last couple of weeks against solid running backs and stopping the run. So you have to rely on the passing game. And and if you're a coach, you've got to be, you know, kind of salivating at what you've seen on tape with Louisville's second day. Uh, the way they've done it now i know again you could go back and say okay if he goes inside instead of outside they don't they don't score that touchdown um, but coaches are going to try to take advantage of things like that on mobile's defense uh what in this game you know when you when you talk about syracuse being a team that has struggled in the fourth quarter what is your level of trust with scott satterfield i would imagine that this is going to be a game that goes down to the wire uh, there would be nothing at these two schedules and scores that would indicate anything other than that do you think that there that we can rely on Satterfield? I mean, can we can we trust that Satterfield is going to get it together and be able to to learn from this, or is this something that we really need to worry about longevity of of struggling in the fourth quarter? Because guys, I've got some bad stats here, some really bad stats. Okay, uh, it, Scott Satterfield in one score ACC games is now a combined four and seven and one and six this season alone. One, actually, I think it's one and seven this season now. This before that. Uh, game came to a completion there and then they have have been outscored in the last three games 13 to 0 in the fourth quarter 18 to 0 in the fourth quarter 18 to 0 in the fourth quarter there's something about the fourth quarter that is giving scott the scaries what is happening here i i I wish i could put a finger on it because i mean every time we've talked to coaches in the last week two weeks now they they've all said the same thing it's hard to pinpoint it on just one thing because it's not just one side of the ball doing it it's both sides collectively and I know I've asked it a couple times already and I know they're going to say the same thing and and deny that it exists but at some point there's a it's more of a mental thing now I mean they the coaches have been acting like no we're not thinking about it once the fourth quarter gets here but I mean after the last few games they've had how could you not think about it I mean we saw what happened against Clemson. Even in the win against Boston College, there was a brief moment where we thought the fourth quarter could fall apart. And then NC State, we saw how things kind of unraveled there, although that was a little bit differently. Virginia, we don't need to talk about that. Florida State, that whole second half, it looked like Florida State kept chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And it took a last-second interception from Keith Charles Clark to really put that game away. There have been, like, literally in almost every ACC game this year, Maybe save for the Wake Forest one, even though there was a, a spot in the middle where they kind of let things go. So it's not like exclusively the fourth quarter. But in every ACC game this year, they've just had immense struggles down the stretch. And it's the bad thing about it is that it's not particularly due to one area or another. It's just, a, for lack of a better term, complete systems failure. That you hear this phrase a lot in professional sports sports and and I've heard it some in college but it's really more professional sports of that young teams have to learn to win and I think that that's what we're watching happen in real time Um, and from my perspective I, I the more and more I think about this I think the more and more we're headed towards two things the fans are obviously getting very frustrated with this and so be it you want to see your your coach be able to come through at the end of the game and make the right calls want your players to execute um but I, I think what we're more likely heading towards is this leading towards Scott Satterfield being forced into hiring an offensive coordinator, somebody to come in with different set of eyes to be able to fix some of the little things here um, within their, their offense. That is, it works. We know the offense works. What are they? They've outgained their opponent eight of the last nine games or something like that. Yeah, so, I mean, someone whose sole job it is to make sure all the offensive coaches are on the same page. And I know that's something 
It sounds simple. It sounds stupid. It sounds easy, but it makes a difference. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, it definitely feels like there is, you know, something that is uh, you know, that in the play calling that just needs to change slightly. A new set of eyes, a new fresh perspective, and I think we're headed towards that. But I don't think that by any means Scott has done anything other than prove he at least deserves more time to figure this out. I know that they are losing football games, but we're watching a team that obviously is fighting, right? We are watching yes. them in real time. This is not Louisville of old lay down when things get hard. These guys yeah. are in it. This for isn't the, yeah. This isn't the 2018 team where you could just tell by their body language that people would quit. I mean, they were getting blown out. I mean, Brian Brown said the quote today, it'd, it'd be one thing if they were get, going out there and getting blown out by 30, but they're losing games by one, by two, by six. They're, they're in these games, and I hate that I'm using a freaking coaching cliche, but, I mean, they're right there. They're just perpetually unlucky with some of these fourth quarters. And what makes it frustrating is that there's not one thing that they can point to and say, aha, this is why we are shitting the bed in the fourth quarter, and then go fix it. It's like it's a multitude of things. It's a multitude of little things that collectively pile up and – They've said it till they're blue in the face that, that it's not there, but I'm convinced there's a mental hurdle at this point because how could there not be? Like I said, there's got to be there's got to be some sort of um, breaking point here. We're going to get to the point where either Scott gets it together or we just see he quite frankly can't do it late in those games where he has to what we'll call his bag, right? He has to get into his bag in the fourth quarter without scripted plays, without, you know, kind of the set of what he wants to do. He's got to call it in real time, make adjustments on the fly, trust what he's saying. And, and if he can't do it at this level, I'm fine with them bringing in an offensive coordinator. Maybe that changes things a little bit. And we see, you know, some of these little details get shored up uh, and, and lead to Louisville taking the next step. All right, let's talk about this game Saturday from a prediction standpoint. Um, we have been really off the last few weeks. I think, uh, I, I mean, I don't know if we've picked a game, right. All three of us. I'd l- I don't know if we've picked a game, right. All year. I'm not, like, all of us get it right. Besides maybe Eastern Kentucky. That might be the only game we've all been like, I got my on, games but... in the first half of the season. Right. Thank you very much. Yeah. I haven't, I, I, it's, I like early in the season I or before the season started, I sat down, wrote down the schedule, picked my like scores ahead of time. And I've, I haven't gone back to check against how I started or where we are now, but I, on the show, it's just, I went back and checked my own predictions. I think I'm like at five and four at this point. Well, then you're the, you're the Louisville football of predicting games is what it seems like. You, you get some right sometimes and other times you're just off slightly. Um, all right. Predictions wise. I I'm still guys, I am really struggling with this. Um, I, I mean, I just find myself every week in the, in the boat of, okay, eventually they're going to show us that they can close these games out. Eventually they're going to, they're going to clean things up. They're going to stop letting the big play happen early in the game. They're going to stop making a turnover or, you know, throwing an interception. They're going to stop having penalties, false starts, and they haven't done it. And because of that, I feel like I have to pick against Louisville, but I'm not because Lamar freaking Jackson is coming to Louisville on Saturday to get his number retired. And my God, if the football 
the football gods of this world aren't smiling down on Cardinal Stadium with all 22,000 fans. Seriously, though, fans, you need to get your freaking butts into the seat to watch this game. I will be at this game, so I can't say that get to the game and I'm not going to be there. I will be at this game. Vince is going to be at this game. Matt's going to be at this game. There's tickets that are out there for you to go. And I think that if there is a good enough crowd, the energy is there, which it should be, because this is the greatest player in Louisville football history having his number retired. Literally a guy who just played like four years ago here. Like there should be enough energy to get this game and get things going in the right direction and give Louisville that the, the oomph that they need to get over that edge. I am going to pick Louisville 31 to 27. There, there's a couple schools of thoughts here. There's the hot, the energy high and the buzz that can fuel a team to a, a victory. But then there's the other side of that coin where there's just so much net, negative energy and then there's like the momentum swinging in the opposite direction i mean they're coming off an emotional loss to clemson it's a noon game i know rsn doesn't matter much to the players but i mean just it's supposed to be a blackout and now it's not a blackout it's a lamar jackson whatever where whatever the hell you want out the lamar jackson sure. out i mean that's that's what it said in the release earlier today but i mean there's Yes, you've, you've got Lamar in the house. That's going to be a huge deal. That's going to get the crowd buzzing, but this has trap game written all over it. Syracuse has a really great rushing attack, great dynamic uh, running back, uh, above average quarterback when it comes to just overall skill and offensive talent with an aggressive front seven, even though I know Louisville just faced that kind of front seven. I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Jacob. The stats and the trends suggest that I should take Syracuse, but I'm I'm not sure I want to take Syracuse because I think that some of the the positive vibes and the good vibes could outweigh the bad. So I'm God, I I, I don't even feel confident in this prediction at all. I'm going to take Louisville. 28-27, but I don't feel good about that pick at all. I think Syracuse covers. I think Syracuse keeps it close. If I had to, from a percentages standpoint, if I had to pick a little bit of win, I'd say like 55-45, 60-40 at best. That's it. All right, Vince. I need the positivity out of you, man. You better not come in here and predict a little bit of lose. We're going to tie. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I think we're gonna win. You can't. You can't lose on Lamar Jackson Day. You, you can't. I. I will be the most frustrated fan in that stadium if they lost on Dwayne White Day. Okay, that's <laughs> that's Dwayne White. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I had I, obviously. I'm clearly. I'm terrible at the score stuff. I'm just gonna say 31. Uh, I'll go 31 14. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think, you know. I still think when I think Syracuse, I still think Syracuse of old. And I, I think they'll fall back into old habits and just be the same, same old average Syracuse. And we're going to go over there and just walk all over them. So that's kind of my, that's, that's my opinion that, you know, we just can't lose on Lamar Jackson day. That's that, that's, that's the kicker. Cannot lose on Lamar Jackson day. The perfect segue into talking about the man himself. It's crazy that, you know, you, you hear people talk about Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, you know, on the football side, i trying to think of some of the great the Herschel walkers and you know eric dickerson's of the world all these all-time great generational players and i just sometimes struggle to wrap my head around the fact that we got to watch 
watch that every single Saturday um, with Lamar Jackson as quarterback. He is the most special talent I have ever seen in my entire life. Like, would you all not agree? He is easily the best player in the football history. Oh, yeah, no question. Hands down. He's a one-name guy. He's a one-name guy now. You got Jordan, LeBron, I mean, Lamar. Lamar, right. There, that's, a, that's a good point. Man. That, when you get to is, the one name, when you he's, get to the one, one, he's name, a one name guy, he's a one name guy. And I, I still, I, I think that like for the next 20 to 30 years, the stories are going to be, you know, continue to be told. And, and as Lamar grows in his NFL career, and eventually, you know, hopefully wins a Super Bowl and becomes a legend. Like it's just going to be, like I said, folklore here of what he did. Um, but I just want to talk through some of your all's favorite stories, favorite memories, favorite games. I've heard a lot of great Lamar Jackson stories. I've seen with my eyes a lot of great performances. I was in the building in two, on, uh, 2016 when they beat Florida State 62 to 10. Um, it, one of the greatest days of my life, just being at game day that morning, working it for for the radio for some radio stations here in town back when I worked in, in radio, um, and being out there at three and four in the morning with just like the diehard Louisville football fans, the, the people who had been there from the very beginning. Um, thinking like this is gonna be a great game like no don't get me wrong Lamar's played incredible but like it's number two Florida State They're, this is gonna be tough like if we're gonna win we're gonna have to to just it's gonna have to be special and then for them to go out and do what he did man unreal but I gotta tell you my favorite play and it's the most like you would never think of this and I don't even know if you all remember this play but um, I think I think it was 2017, his second season um, as the like it was after his Heisman season. So his his I guess it's his, his last season. It's against North Carolina. And there's just been all this noise about him as a passer. Yeah, how good he could throw the football. You had a you had a linebacker from North Carolina come out in the media. I think his name is Andre Smith came out, made a comment about how Lamar was overhyped and why weren't, wasn't, why, why wasn't North Carolina getting that publicity. And there was a play that was that Lamar Jackson. And I think the second quarter where he dropped back, uh, didn't have anything down the field, rolled out to his far left and then rolled back to his inside shoulder and launched a, a bomb downfield to Jalen Smith. Um, it was a, a 75 yard walking touchdown and it's still to this day is single-handedly the, the greatest throw I have ever seen in my entire life four or five guys in his face the ability to wiggle out of pressure um, and be able to launch that ball and you know how Lamar is dude when you just like it's like a basketball shot when you see it and you you know it's going in like it's the perfect yep. form and this flick of the wrist as he's falling forward just barely getting this football away is a rocket and it hits Jalen Smith right on the money as he is running and he walks in Louisville ends up winning that game by a ton of points I'm pretty sure and it was just like in that moment being like holy crap this kid is special like this isn't just a running quarterback this isn't like Eric Crouch. This is a guy who's going to have an NFL career because he can throw the football like that. I'm, I'm going to take an easy one. I'm going to go with like my favorite Lamar memories from the Florida State game. But that's just because I, I was there that morning tailgating at 2 a.m. waiting for college game day. I was there at game day. I was there in the student section. I'm pretty sure that was my last my last year as a student at Louisville. We had a prime view of it all and just. It's, it's hard to limit it to just one play from that game because there were so many. But the oddly enough, the one play that stands out to me the most was actually not even a Lamar play. It was that Jair Alexander punt return touchdown to open up the second half. Because, I mean, up to that point, you got to remember, Louisville was in similar positions against Florida State their last two times heading into that game where they were up big early and then choked down the stretch to lose. So I see that the score at halftime, whatever it was, like 28 
10, 28, 14, whatever it was at that point. And I just couldn't help but think, okay, I've seen this story before. I've seen, I've seen this movie before. They, they got to do something to establish authority in the second half to make sure they close out and win this game. And then first Florida state drive, they have to go out and punt and then Jair takes to the house and the stadium explodes. That's probably the loudest I personally have seen Cardinal stadium because it was at that point where it started to actually set it for people that Louisville's going, not only going to win this game, but Louisville is going to win this game with authority. I, I remember being on the sidelines of that game and I, all game prep all week. We felt like we were going to win the game just because, I mean, we, we had who we had. We had Lamar. And, uh, I mean, I just remember looking at the score and looking over, like, Sean McCormick or Day Williams or one of them and being like, I mean, we knew we were going to win, but not by this much. Like, we, I, didn't, I didn't know it was going to be, like, this crazy of a game. My favorite Lamar uh, football play uh, probably has to be I mean, obviously, the Florida State and the leap against Syracuse was awesome, but uh, I really liked the pass play he had to James Quick against UNC Charlotte, where it was back of the end zone, and Quick had, like, a perfect toe drag. And, you know, that was kind of – that was my freshman year, and that was kind of my – it, it kind of sucks because Lamar set the bar for me for, like, college quarterbacks. <laughs> like, that was my <laughs> – Going downhill from there. <laughs> oh, we knew it was all downhill from there. We're like, oh man, we got a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. We won ten games. Like it's it's all downhill from here. But that that was probably my favorite play. That isn't you know one of the big obvious obvious ones. So I, I found it, this is kind of a side note, but I found it particularly interesting to see a couple weeks ago when they announced that they were going to be retiring Lamar Jer- Lamar's jersey number that Bobby Petrino felt the need to tweet. or I think he, like, released a statement. Like, oh, yeah, uh, he did. It was just a whole, like, hurrah. Like, what? Okay, let me <laughs> – hypothetical situation. Lamar comes to Vince, and he says, Vince, I want to invite Bobby. What do you think Vince does? You think Vince says no? Or you think he's like, oh, I guess he's done some more. We got to let him. He's saying, though. No. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> Lamar, listen, man, he can't come back. A- another underrated moment for me was the game winner to Jalen Smith against Virginia. And you talk about another just beauty of a play as a passing. For some reason, you know, I got people can name all these Lamar runs. I- I've got these passes stored in my head that are just like random games against Duke and Virginia that he just make these these passes that just make you just like holy shit dude this is unreal what i'm watching the auburn game 2015 i, I mean first play of the game he throws an interception, interception yep. bobby what are you doing man why are you put this kid out here to do this um and and then they pull reggie and lamar comes in and louisville is really really playing bad um, up into that point, and then all of a sudden, it's at, the, it's at literally just a few drives to be like, okay, this is going to be special. Like, I had no idea, obviously, that he was going to be the greatest player in, in history, but just his ability to make plays against whether it's Auburn or it's the Pittsburgh Steelers, like it's no different now than it was then. He will take whatever the level of competition is and just make them look silly. I mean, absolutely silly. There are a, a number of different games, but Vince, I got to ask you, man, you got you to gotta pull the curtain back here and give me a, a good Lamar story. Give me a story that nobody has heard because 
uh, if you followed along with me and the, the podcast here and you followed along at Big Red Louie, we've talked a, a number of different Lamar stories. One of my favorite things was always asking guests who had been around Lamar for their favorite story because there's so many different things out there. But I have to ask you, what is your favorite Lamar story from your time being in the same building and in the same premise of this dude who is now a one-name legend? Uh, my favorite one as a player, I've got probably – my two personal favorite ones, I've got a whole list of just stuff that I, once you text me to think about that, I was like, oh man, everything kind of started flooding in. Yeah. You got to uh, text the plug, man. You got to text Robbie. Robbie's got <laughs> yeah. your stories, man. No, text I didn't text Robbie. I didn't text Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my favorite, I'm sure, I, I don't know if I've told it on this, uh, on the podcast or not, but I've told it to you guys. It's whenever I was on scout team and Lamar, uh, pulls and, it on an outside and you and thought I, you had Lamar Jackson dead yes. right so, yeah I'm gonna tackle Lamar Jackson exactly Woo. something that, yep something I was gonna tell my kids for the rest of my for for forever that was gonna be my pride right there was tagging off on Lamar and he pointed at me laughed and turned on his uh NFL Jets and I had my scout team walk on Jets on so <laughs> it didn't work out <laughs> but uh <laughs> another one uh just I've got I've got two more. We'll just throw this one in there. It was right before you know his little draft time, and ever I asked him if he was gonna how, you know what was gonna happen if he got drafted to the Browns because they were you know terrible at the time, and you know he looked at me and was like I'm gonna turn him around. Obviously, yeah. I mean he, that's just the kind of guy he is. But uh, almost favorite, like I guess second favorite was uh, whenever uh, he came back during his MVP season in 19. 19- yeah, because Amani was still on the team. So he says, fun fact about Lamar, whenever uh, Amani Spence was still on the team, Lamar wouldn't rent a hotel. He wouldn't do anything like that. He would stay on Amani Spence's couch in the clubhouse. So he has more money than he knows what to do with. And if that doesn't tell you even more what kind of person he is, like he's just going to crash on his best friend's couch. So we're all walking out at the same time conveniently. Uh, me, Amani, and Lamar, and he's about to order an Uber. And I'm like, well, we're going to the same spot. Why don't you just hop in the car with me? So he, we're walking in the car or whatever, and the man calls shotgun in <laughs> my car. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, shotgun, you can have my car. <laughs> like, you want to drive? <laughs> what are you talking about? He's got a gold, he's got, uh, the sniper gang chain on. He's got his big old gold. I mean, the dude's just a class act guy. That was probably, you know, one of my favorites right there. And obviously him just signing autographs and stuff. He signed one for uh, a kid that same day who I had built up a relationship with who had had Down syndrome. And he wore a Lamar Jackson jersey every day uh, to this class that we had together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just kind of were buddy-buddy. And he ended up being a water boy for us in that same year on a thurs- on Thursday practices. And uh, I knew he had that Lamar jersey on him. And I kind of grabbed Lamar and awkwardly was like, hey, do you mind signing this? Like, it would mean a lot to this kid. It was a whole moment. Just a stand-up guy. We have no better person to represent our university e- easily. I mean, he's hands down best college quarterback to ever touch the field. Argue what you want to argue. I'm taking him over Tebow. I'm taking him over Cam. You put him on Tebow's team, he's doing the same same thing Tebow did, probably winning more national championships and more Osmonds. So yeah, that, that that's my opinion. I, I love the guy to death. I'd do anything for him. So 
we could have a whole episode about talking about Lamar Jackson memories, stories. I, I one of the greatest stories I've ever been told is the his freshman year being being told to take the the quarterback jersey off. I don't know if he was told or if he asked if he could take the, the quarterback, uh, and he was was live in practice. This is a quarterback, a freshman quarterback, live in practice without a jersey. I don't play football so i know that that is like if i know that that's like not a very often that doesn't happen it's something when lamar does it and then makes a fool of every single person on the field that's that's kind of common sometimes with your freshman quarter i know we did it with t webb a couple times last year and uh, oh so that's why he left (laughs) (laughs) i went too many hits from wins on scouting we did it with evan as well evan is still here okay he, didn't want, he doesn't want any of that blame on him. He's like, shit, I said too much. But, but, <laughs> but I remember one practice when he hit his hand on somebody's helmet. And, you know, that's a big no-no in practice. Like we're talking about, you don't want to hit the quarterback, let alone, you know, if the quarterback's not live, the one thing he can hurt on another player is his throwing hand coming down on someone's helmet. And that's a real easy way to break a finger and be done for X amount of games. And, <laughs> Lamar hit his hand on somebody's helmet. Oh my God. I think that kid's probably still running. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I I can see that. Oh my goodness. That's unreal. I I I just, I I, I love, I I, I love all these Lamar stories because it seems everyone encapsulates like who he is as a guy, not only, not as a player, but as as a human being, like every single Lamar story I've ever heard revolves around him being just, an absolute class hack to the guy. Do you remember when he raced Rajon Rondo in front of Cardinal Town? You remember when that was a thing? Absolutely. I, I was thinking, first of all, for Rajon Rondo to be racing Lamar Jackson in front of Cardinal Town is the weirdest thing ever. But for that I to get, I mean, it, and I think it was one of them was barefoot. If I'm not mistaken, they might have both been barefoot. I don't Lamar, know. Lamar was barefoot. He was in slides. I, I, I remember reading that story. The reason why Bobby Petrino got fired, man. You let your quarterback run around slides. You were asking for it. But no, um, I, I, I can just only imagine. I mean, watching the video a few weeks ago, this kid, I, I've never met this dude. He's much younger than me, at least by a few years. Maybe not much, but a few years younger than me. And I still feel like he is my child. Like when he when he is celebrated and when he is honored and when he gets to be um, the center of attention, it just like gives me the warm feeling because I, I like, I mean, as, as a Louisville fan, never thought in my entire life I would see a player win the Heisman. I feel like we all have this special connection with him, which is why I cannot tell you enough to go on your phone, your tablet, your, your computer, somebody else's phone, tablet, computer, wherever you got to go right now, if you don't have tickets to the game on Saturday, go find uh, the state of Louisville. I think it's the, at the state of Lou on Twitter and find the ticket exchange thread. I, I believe it will be pinned to the top of the profile and get to the stadium on Saturday because I, guys, we got to return this energy that, that, that he brought here to the things that he did for us uh, as a fan base. I, you know, I'll champion that get to the game on Saturday. I will be the, the, the conductor of that train. And don't leave early. I, oh, so many people left against UCF, and I get it. You can justify that one a little bit, but people leaving, our entire row was cleared out. 
whenever we got the ball back and we're driving for those last four plays. That that's so sad. Like just I feel like you've got a lot of learning to do here. There's a oh. lot of lo- I got I got I got <laughs> to make sure you learn. I grabbed about tonight. it as a no 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 players know it's very noticeable. I mean, you know, Louisville you, fans you don't want to be in traffic. Louisville fans okay. are awful about that. And don't go to the game. But then it's a that's true, right? That's yeah. a, but then we're saying go to the game and because there's nobody at the game. It's like, well, I don't want to be in traffic. Yeah, I'd I rather, think it's not that. I'd, I'd rather have real fans that ain't gonna leave early that aren't gonna spend half the first Man. quarter sitting I, out drinking, and you know. I I wish the traffic here was as bad as Louisville fans claim it is because I've I've been at Atlanta you traffic. Wish? I've you know what I mean. I've been in Atlanta traffic. I've been in Nashville traffic. That is infinitely worse. Like the traffic here is not bad. It's not. I would expect we're going to see a lot of former players in the building on Saturday coming back to uh, be with Lamar as he as he celebrates that big honor. Uh, and it's just going to be it's going to be a great moment. I cannot wait to be there. I'm hoping that uh, Matt as media will be able to be out on the field and and experience that. I'm not sure what that looks like, but we'll find out on Saturday. Cannot wait for that. And my God, if I can make one request here, my dying <laughs> request on this podcast tonight, fellas, my last request. If they make Lamar Jackson push that stupid button, <laughs> I swear, man, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. They make him. You know they're going to, man. God, that button is the worst thing in Louisville football going on right now. That button is – I'm sorry. I just cannot get – it doesn't even link up to the horn. It's just a, a – I just can't. Bring what? The, the Cardinal bird coming in yes. from the sky? Yes. Bring the freaking parachuting bird back. That was awesome. That would always get me juiced Thinking about sure. the liability insurance that they have to carry to have a, a, a human being jump out of a plane in a Cardinal bird outfit is just – it yeah. makes sense why they stopped doing that. Let's just put it that way. All right. That's going to wrap up the show tonight. A great show here. Be sure to, to uh, subscribe if you haven't already from the Pink Seats podcast. You can get the podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Of course, go ahead and subscribe to all of the other State of Louisville podcasts along that network there, especially basketball season getting underway. We've got Off the Walls podcast, Brian Trent, Louisville Women's Basketball Podcast, and of course, starting 502, Preston Meyer and Nick Connor. Uh, be sure to follow our guys here, Matt McGavick. You can follow him at, uh, at Matt underscore McGavick. Of course, the Louisville Report of Sports Illustrated. Great work there. As always, following along with everything Louisville Athletics and Vincent Lococo. Uh, exactly that on Twitter, at Jacob Lane 08. Be sure to give us a follow, subscribe, do all of those things, and we will check you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.